I'm having my one. Hola and benvenido to the 22nd episode of the I'm Having My One podcast. We're happy to tell you that Neil not only survived the London Marathon, but smashed his fundraising goal. Well done, Neil. Thank you. Very good, very good, very good. On this episode, I'm joined by Neil and Paul. Say hello, boys. Hello. Hello, boys. Very good. Uh, but also in our upcoming chat on the game we played, Cuba Libre, we'll be joined by a special guest, our friend Reese. So all of that and more to cover. So let's get cracking. Okay, so we've just played Cuba Libre and we're very happy to be joined now by our good friend and gaming buddy, Reese. Say hello, Reese. Hello, Reese. Um, so this is the 2013 GMT game, recreating the Cuban Revolution from the 1950s. The game is part of the acclaimed coin series focused on counterinsurgency uh, conflicts from Roman times through to the Vietnam War and beyond. We, most commonly, you'll have a, a government faction or controlling faction, and sometimes their allies, and then various rebel factions. Um, Cube Libre itself is played through four phases, um, and it requires each player to achieve various objectives in the game uh, to to win. These can be focused on controlling um, areas on the map, or for the most part they are really. Uh, there's a couple of different ways in which that can happen. It can also be done through constructing various types of bases that represent a player's uh, faction establishing a foothold in that particular region of the map. There are a couple of neat mechanics um, that we'll look at in a minute, uh, and although all the games in this series are about conflicts, as I was saying, um, I don't think they are out-and-out war games for me. So as, as a starter for 10 on that one, uh, what what are your guys feeling on that particular point? I'd say they're a bit of a mixture, right? There's, you know, certainly everyone's got different ca- uh, attack capabilities and attack conditions. Um, but yeah, it's... Mm, my thought is that it's not something that you're... It's quite a lot about positioning, right? It's almost, I guess, a little bit chess, as I'm saying that, in a way, that get your piece in the right position to be able to, sure, do an attack. But it's not a... You know, think of something like... That's more of an area of control, right? Sekigahara or something like that. Sure. I think that's probably a better description than saying it's a it's a war game. I don't know. I think, I think, I think it is a war game. I think it's not a combat game. Okay. You know, there's not there's not that much combat in the game, but I still think it's a war game because a lot of a lot of war games are just more strategy based, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, I, I think once you understand how to play the game, which I certainly don't at this point, <laughs> having only played it twice, right. but I think once you've got your head around how the different factions work, mm. you know, it would be a very strategic uh, strategic game. It is complicated, right? And I've made this comparison before, but I do feel it's quite similar to Root. And I sort of always have in my mind when I'm saying that, Neil, that comment that you've made in the past about how somebody you know had said that Root had had actually at one stage, there was a rumour that that had been a Vietnam War game, and then they decided to rebrand it in in its current sort of woodland setting and, and creatures instead because it's got different factions and this is a really important part of all the coin series but just talk about cuba libre that you have a faction that is the government you have the uh, faction that is the um castro's communists and so on uh, and, and other factions as well each of those has slightly different ways to play and i think there is complication there i don't do you feel like it's a 
and that's sorry, that's my comparison to Root then in the same way that you've got the different factions and, and complicated in the sense of each one plays in a different way. So it's not that everybody's playing identically. But that aside, I, my feeling is it's not actually a complicated game. Yeah, I think it's once you've got your head around the base mechanics, because each player gets this nice little rule sheet of each action that they can take. Player aids are great, right? It, yeah, it's so, so well explained because you get a little sentence of what you're kind of achieving with this action. Yeah. The area that you will be doing that action in and then the steps you need to take to make that action. Yeah. And and it makes it so clear that, you know, as long as kind of no one's really screwed you over in their turns, you've got that time to think and plan, okay, I need to get, I need to get a unit over here and then right how do i do that okay so these are my actions these are my options i've got to take i think right, yeah, yeah once you've got your head around the overall strategy i don't think there's a huge amount of complication switching from faction to faction okay whereas say root you completely need to learn a different play style almost i think do you think okay Okay, I, I I think there is some the, the complication is the different factions as you as you're going from one to the other. But actually, I think the the, the mechanics you say are not too challenging in terms of what you're doing. The way in which the game is played is not difficult. We'll talk about the card play in a in a second. But I think the complication in the game length, like we played that for three hours plus, I think, mm. didn't we? The that comes from the bit that i am in no way a master of in this game at all it's the strategy of what you do to achieve the objective that you want to do and moving you do moving some of your cubes around or you try and take this area you're doing that that's what takes long it's the thinking time of working out what you want to do uh, it's also the, the thinking time and understanding of what other people are doing because sure. that's such an important factor in the game and and to be honest you know um paul was was uh, playing the syndicate and you know opening casinos left right and center and i had a bit of an understanding of that already from the last game that we uh we played yeah um but like tom i had no, i had kind of no real understanding of what your faction needed to do or was trying to do it just seemed to it just seemed to get weaker and weaker as the I, game I, I did know but i just i couldn't work out where to do it <laughs> no, it was it was it was the 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 extra and, and and again it's something that that once I think you've played that that um, that faction then you know you, you'd get an understanding of it and you know right. probably be easier to understand. But the police because you have like the police you had troops and mm -hmm. it was very different to the other factions that were that were True. in the game. Yeah, um, yeah. You you three were all playing the counter uh, sorry the the insurgent factions right in one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, whereas mine was the the one who was trying to maintain gov the government running of the country. Yeah, and it is different, no doubt about that. But again, I kind of bring that back your point about the learning what other people are doing to root again is that we've all played root quite a lot and that is a game that i think gets better and better as you rotate around and play the different factions and understand what other mm. people are trying to do do you know my my one the one thing i liked about this game over root and that the the only problem i have with with root as a game i think is that you you can have one player that just runs away with it um you know there yeah. can be a certain point in the game where it's just you know that they're going to 
win the game and there's very little that you can probably do to stop them even though everyone you know might try and bundle in and stop them it kind of gets to a point where no that you know that they're gonna they're gonna run yeah. away with it and so the last the last kind of you know few turns of the game can just be a a bit of a you know okay we're just we're just waiting for for them to win now um whereas with this the chaos that comes from the cards you know, kind of, I, I think it kind of balances that out a little bit because, you know, at several points during our game, different people were winning. And I didn't really feel that we were all ganging up on one person to stop them winning. No, it was really, it was, <laughs> <laughs> I felt I felt like it was the luck of the cards that were coming out that were pushing it in other people's directions. And I think you know, there's a massive part of that. And I, I wrote down the same point, point is it's, it's like, a route but there's a way to be able to pull users back right is that mm. route has that definite end that when somebody reaches 30 points that's it whereas yeah. this game has the certain time periods that you will get through a series of cards uh that are played and then it's the time where you're assessing the victory and the person has or hasn't um hasn't won um just as a before we get too far down the road and we haven't discussed it is that that is a, a big mechanic of the way in which the game is played, right? Someone want to just talk us through how that card play works and what the impact is on the game. Yeah, so um, every turn you turn over a card, that's the card for the turn, but then you also are aware of the card for the next turn. Um, and then along the top of the card, you've got the colours for the four factions, and then only two factions can go on that time um, in, in that particular turn in in the order it says on the card now on that card you've got actions that will help the the police and the casinos and you've got actions that will help um the students and um the july 26th and so on your turn you can do one of the actions from your sheet or you can play the the event on the card which will have some of them are, are actually quite powerful and can make a big impact on the game yeah, but because you know what's coming up next as well, you might also choose to pass your turn because you will have a better advantage on the next card, for instance. Yeah, right. And I think that choice of do you play the event or do you take the uh, the opportunity to do some of your other actions and make some progress on the board is really tough, right? And I do I have thought about it since our game that. I think one of the things that I potentially did wrong or I would certainly try differently next time is I just got lured in by those events every time because it just looked so good, but it meant I wasn't really doing many of the actions that I probably should have been doing that that drove my uh, victory condition forward. Neil, did you have a kind of similar thing? I, or not? I think I did exactly the same thing in the mid-game. I just spent turn after turn just getting... Yeah, red events. I'm thinking, well, I might as well play them. But they look so good, right? Is that on on the surface of it, it gives you some one-time ability to be able to do something that you might spend three turns trying to do, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it was definitely... And, and that's why I think I kind of said to you on the side while we were playing, when you're like, is everything good? And I'm like, it is, but like, I've just got nothing... I've just got nothing to do. Like every time it's my turn, it just makes the most sense to try and do this event or. Right. And so what is your thoughts on that point about uh, people sort of piling in? Because you took a very early lead. You played the um, the 26th of July, Castro's communists, um, the historical victors, 
you took an early lead and I know certainly I and I think others did pile in a little bit to knock you back because you were so you were two points away from winning I think well at, at, at times I was about five points over winning but <laughs> yeah you've then got to sit back and you've got to hold that that you've got to hold that lead until the next propaganda card comes around mm, right of and which that's so it, difficult right so how would you get the timing right in that yeah, I were, and it's it's a level of chaos that I don't necessarily enjoy because it's just, yeah, how long, I don't know. I wasn't actually a fan of, of, of not knowing how long you need to maintain your victory condition because mm. then you just run the risk of, of, you know, meeting your condition, running with it, holding it, holding it, holding it, holding it. You know, you're starting to get ganged up on and eventually you crumble and then three cards like, you know, two or three cards later, the propaganda shows up and whoever whoever was in sort of second wins. Well, you kind of had this experience as well near the end, I think, Reese. You were the ultimate winner of the game. You played as the um, uh, directorio, didn't you, right, as the student revolutionaries. But you I remember you saying as we were playing you kind of just felt like you were hanging on, you know, you got your victory condition and you're just trying to hang on long enough for that propaganda card to come around. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart recently with my son and it's it, effectively, I was waiting for that blue shell. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's actually quite similar to Mario Kart, the kind of chaos that comes from all of that um, in that you can be doing really well, 15 points, you know, um way above where you need to 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 win and then you know you can get hit by a red shell and then a slip on a banana and you know it's it can kind of quite quickly be taken from you before the next propaganda card comes up so yeah i think um i i like that though i i know neil i get i get i get why you don't like it and i i you I know mean, I, I imagine a lot of people wouldn't but i quite like the chaos of that i quite like Ooh. a bit of yes, uh, i'm a fan of it a bit of uh i feel like it levels the playing field a little bit to a certain extent as well it's um mm -hmm. you know you're not someone's not going to run away with it every time there's it's um it's a difficult difficult one to call because you can't time it you know you can have a good guess but it's impossible to time completely right because you never right. know when that propaganda card you know out, right? they're coming once every 12 cards but mm -hmm. you don't know when in that 12 yeah and um when those come out is an interesting thing. We, we might get on to, to that more later, but I, I definitely need to congratulate you. It's probably the first time, first person I would ever think has compared Cuba Libre, one of the coin series to Mario Kart. I don't believe that would have ever been done before. <laughs> I didn't notice that in any of Rodney's reviews. No, it didn't, 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 didn't come out that one. So is it a bit, is it a bit prone to, to this concept of king making then where a other faction or, uh, one of the factions can choose who they want to screw over or more importantly not to then allow them to have the victory. I, I, I don't think so, actually. There there was a, a bit of it, and I don't know, maybe if some things were a bit balanced, but I was, I was well out ahead and had a few turns that if the propaganda card would have come up, I would have won. Yeah. And you kind of nuked me and it all went horribly wrong. Um, and which allowed Reese to win, but at the time, Reese wasn't winning, and I was, and so that was absolutely the right call. And I definitely don't hold any bitterness or resentment about that decision you made, Thomas. Um, but, but that was the feeling that I had a little bit, and I wrote it down as a point. I said it during the game, I think, as well, is that 
I felt like I I was not doing very well as the government, a long way behind. And I had a choice. I could have attacked you, could have attacked Reese. Those are two players in the lead at the time. Um, and I chose to attack you and and then Reese went on to win, right? And if I hadn't, not guaranteed, but very likely that you would have been in, in a strong enough position to do so. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think it felt out of place in the game. I don't I don't feel your I didn't feel particularly aggrieved. Your action wasn't good. good. You know, <laughs> your action wasn't stopping my winning instead of Reese winning. Right. It felt like I needed to be stopped and then we needed to stop Reese. And unfortunately, we didn't do well enough. And he. Right. And I, uh, yeah. I suppose once again, there's that chaos of the cards, right? Is that we didn't know when the next propaganda card was coming out. And actually, it was probably still another six cards i six turns down the road before it did come so it could have changed again and again i i had two very lucky uh agenda cards that came up which meant you uh i went underground because a propaganda card came up when i just invaded um i say invaded i just put a load of a load of my troops into havana mm-hmm. um and then there was another one wasn't there somewhere i i managed to just nip into uh, an area close by where you were going to sweep in and probably take out a load of my guys. But, um, you know, I managed to to wipe those guys out as well. So there's, there's, there's a huge amount of luck involved. Like it's, it's a lovely balance between strategy and luck. I feel, um, yeah. And, and, then, and that... and... sorry, sorry, go on. No, go on. No, you're fine. I was just going to say and the, the history nerd in me absolutely loves that in a sense of like everything that's happened historically has had a huge shake of luck in it that that has mm. happened that weather was as it was you know that that person happened to do this at that time that person went for a dentist appointment they missed a call that would have been something else you know there's loads of things like that 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 luck plays a massive factor in these things it isn't a totally predictable um i don't want that to sound negative because we, we love a euro game but a <laughs> predictable pattern of what's going to happen that you would see in a, in a euro right definitely definitely and, I, and I, I i love a euro game as well but i also love this type of game you know it's good to have a mix yeah. uh you don't you don't always want to have the same type of game right you want to you want to have a, a little bit of chaos thrown into it a little bit of luck yeah um, a bit of a gamble backstabbing as well and a, bit, <laughs> and a bit of a bit of backstabbing sure although i, I didn't backstab neil this time because we had a we had a, an early on alliance, so the alliance you know, is strong, which which was strong from the start to the end, as is always the way between you and I. <laughs> See episode insert title here for details. So the only other thing that we haven't really chatted about, which is one of my favourite things of the game, is the action selection mechanic. So yes, yes, yep. there's the event card, but then there's this little grid of three lots of two two choices. So so you then look at the action card. That's got the four factions in in varying orders on the top so if if on my particular card then the the um you know the 26th of july get to take first pick yes i might pick the event and if i want to pick the event then i then i then i put my little token in the slot that says play the event and then the second player has the option to either pass or take the action that follows the first player event action so that is Mm -hmm. i think that is taking an op with a special ability right yeah but then, you know, the other things that, that that pair up is that you might take um, 
a action with a special ability and then the second person gets to do a limited operation or the event you know and it's just that kind of you can then it adds a different level of complexity when you look at the uh, especially the events on the card well i might think well that's really really good for tom and he's up next i cannot possibly have him playing that event so i'll choose to take a limited action which then means that that you know, playing the event card isn't an option for Tom. I think that whole like so great. That's so smart, isn't it? It's it's a lovely little sub tactical game in there about how you are uh impacting what other people can do. Mm. Okay, definitely. Okay. Uh I, I personally think the game board and, and uh the, the cubes that you lose you're using it look fantastic. Um there's a good historical flavor in the cards that you've got there. We were talking about using uh wooden uh token or meeples instead of uh or in, in in comparison to plastic minis last episode what what do you guys think in terms of the look of this game i think the game looks brilliant i think it it really fits in that sort of genre that it's set in mm. um and and like you say with the cards it's a bit like twilight struggle where you've got mm. the, the headline of the card now I don't know enough about the Cuban Revolution, but they are kind of fitting to the characters and the characters, not that I mean, the the people that that were there of the time, the events that were happening, along with a little black and white photo, yeah, which is is really fitting. And I think going back to like I was mentioning with minis, because you've just got these little blocks and cubes, it feels very you know that you're sat slightly out of the game in a very controlling kind of overarching way, seeing how the pieces in the country are moving around. I, I really enjoyed it. I think if anything, it's a bit, um, it's a bit fancy for a GMT game. <laughs> <laughs> you need it to be a bit more sort of plain pastel colours. <laughs> yeah. And some more, some more cardboard squares. Okay. So how wannable is this game? Is it the kind of thing that uh, someone's going to have a, a, a one because of a change of decision or change of heart or something like that? I think it's definitely a oneable game. I think you need many ones to to get through this because <laughs> because it's such a high level of strategy, mm. and you've got actually quite a few options with what you're going to do on your turn. You, you know, I think the amount of times forget even the ones I had where I was, you know, a couple of turns down, I think, oh, why didn't I do that, you know, previously and yeah. things. I mean, maybe once you get to know it a bit better, but it's it's definitely one because there's such a high level of strategy. You need, yeah. I think you need a one. And there's those two elements of a one, right? It's about having the most optimal turn that you can, Um and also for the for the sake of kind of understanding and learning a game that we're all relatively new to this to this game um and and how you you know you understand and you gradually learn the strategy and, and absolutely as you're playing it you'll go oh yeah i've done that oh no actually i wish i'd, I'd changed that to to be going into that that territory or something else right because it's such a tight game it, it is it's fine margins so there's also this other element to the game, which is that it it comes, and this is true, I believe, for all the coin series, that it comes with these uh, bot players. You can play this anywhere uh, from 
solitaire and have three bot players to to having any kind of version of that where one of the factions is controlled by a bot. We did try this before and we didn't quite get our head around it as I think we may have mentioned on a previous episode. Um, but it's a really it's a really cool thing they put in there, done very well, again, with nice player raids and, and little flowchart about how that works, I think. Yeah, I think it gives you lots of options if you don't have enough friends or, you know, just want to play with yourself. <laughs> Well, look, we, we talked about the, the the merits of solitaire play in the yep. same way as you would load up your Xbox and play uh, something there. There is nothing wrong uh, with, with a solitaire game, and it is becoming a, a bigger and bigger part of the hobby. Would you would you play it two player and each take two factions? So that is one of the things that you can do because the there are two kind of properly insurgent rebel factions right and then there's the government and then mm-hmm. the, the the syndicate the casinos are kind of a bit leaning towards the government so you absolutely can play it as a as a 2v2 we haven't done it we talked about doing it um in the past at some point i think um but i you know i'm so interested in this game series at the moment i'd, I'd definitely be willing to try it yeah. I think I would I think I'd be interested to do it two player. I think that would be a really interesting dynamic, um, depending on you know which ones you did pick. Um I don't know if I'd I don't know if I'd want to play a three player though with a with a bot. I think it would be a two or a four player for me. Um okay. personally. I don't I mean I'd have to try it, I guess. I mean you, how did you guys feel it went? Was it so as because I hadn't quite got my head around it, the, how the bot worked, it wasn't a free-flowing thing. But I think it could be. I think if you really understood it, we chose to, as I think the rules had suggested, for the syndicate to be controlled by um, by the bot. Um, what do you guys think? I was just going to say, I, I think, I think, I think, if you got your head around it, it would have been, it would have been a piece of cake. But we were still just getting to grips with it, I think. That was your first proper playthrough, wasn't it? It was, and we were all kind of just learning the other rules enough to then be trying to effectively learn whole new how setup. another faction was running, but also how the bot was running those rules it was just one one too many things at that point. It was also at the end of a full day of playing lots of board games, so our brain, our brain power had gone by that point, I think. <laughs> All right, so let's go with scores on this one. So, Reese, we'll start with you. Um, what would you give this game out of ten? I really like this. Um, you know, and I, and I, I could understand why some people wouldn't get on with it. Um, but I, I thought it was a really good game. I really enjoyed it, and I, I, I've been thinking about it since we played as well. You know, I've been thinking about what other factions are doing, and, and you know that in itself says that I enjoyed that game because I'm Always keen a good to kind of <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. I'm keen to, you know, get involved in some of the other, some of the other factions and, uh, and seeing, you know, how they play. Um, so out of 10, I would, I think I'd give it an eight. I'd give it an eight. Very respectable. Very nice. Very good. Uh, Paul, where are you sitting? So we've played this, what, three times now. Part of the, the way, I score. I think we all score it. Is your enjoyment on the night, but then also your your build up to playing it, and then also how much you think about the game afterwards. <laughs> and and I found myself normally we play the game and then record this podcast afterwards, but because we spent so long playing the game, there's been a couple of days, and I found I spent all of yesterday just 
trying to think, oh, if if that had happened or, you know, really mulling over that game. So it's going to be a high score for me and I'm going to give it a nine. I really enjoy this game. It's probably the, the most exciting new game I've played this year. Wow. Great. Neil. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> so we're currently on an upward trajectory. <laughs> right. I I want to love this game because you guys love this game. Um, I'm definitely going to play it more because I feel like I need to understand it more. I still, I still don't feel like I get it. And I don't know. I'm sure that's a me problem. Um, I actually think that some of the, like the faction rules and the wording, I actually think it feels unnecessarily complicated. It's a bit nitpicky, but I also think some of the card texts were a bit ambiguous. Like we had to Google like four or five different events just to be like, yeah, how do you actually play that? Um, so for me right now, it's a 6.5. Um, you be you don't be, don't be swayed. I don't want to get swayed by other people's scores. You gotta Because be. it's better than Gloomhaven. Um, but it was worse than a lot of sevens on my list. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it'll improve with time, but right now, um, I'd rather just play root. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and, and interesting points on that. And I think, would be interesting to try we've got fire in the lake the vietnam version of it which is further along in this series this is volume two in the series i'll be interested if we play further whether those sort of things in terms of card clarity has improved uh be good to try try that for me i think um i love this game this is one that i was keen to to get for a long time it really just suits a lot of things that I I enjoy about gaming and uh, the historical element um, is great as well. I think it is good, a good game to learn for the series, but I think there's actually better themes that I'm more interested in elsewhere in the series. I got this one because it's known as one of the simpler ones um, to be able to learn the mechanics. Uh, I... I'm very much looking forward to, to trying some of the others. So I'm going to give it an 8.5. Um, I believe with other themes that that would rise quite a lot. I think that's a really good point on the theme. Like, right? It's the uh, it's it's interesting. Like a bit of Cold War stuff we played, Twilight Struggle, and and enjoyed. I think the theme there, but actually, it's, there's I, I actually forgot to look up. But I think there's about ten editions of this uh, in different themes now: Vietnam, Romans. I said liberation of India. That's not what I mean, really. What do they call it? Decolonization of India. There's sort of a theme. There's one, if you're a fan of Narcos, the first in the series was um, set in the Colombian um, uh, cocaine conflict. Um, so, you know, there's 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 a theme for everybody. Something for the whole family in there. Somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cocaine wars, you know, <laughs> communists, colonization. Um, as long as it's got a C in it, then you're happy. All right, so it looks like we're broadly speaking on a on a reasonable recommendation there. Though um, I think I would encourage anyone to take a look at it. Um, but if you're not much of a history buff or not really into games like Root, then it might be something that uh, takes swerve on it, or at least you know do some research and, uh, and maybe try the online um, version of it first. Right, let's move on. Okay, so what else have we been playing recently? Um, Neil, you and I are going to talk Undaunted Stalingrad shortly. But before we do, I think you've been having some fun in Carcassonne. 
Yeah, I can't believe uh, we've not covered this yet. It's certainly considered a classic. Uh, Carcassonne is a famous medieval citadel located on a hilltop in the Languedoc area of southern France. Uh, but it's also a board game with the same name. Um, it is by Klaus Jürgen Vreder, published by Hansim Gluck, uh, originally back in 2000. So uh, this is the uh, the tile-laying game uh, that will find players drawing and placing a tile featuring a piece of uh, the southern France landscape. Uh, the tile might feature a city, a road, uh, a cloister, grassland, or some combination thereof. And then it has to be played uh, adjacent to tiles that have already been played in such a way that cities are connected to cities, roads to roads, etc., etc. Once you place the tile, your player can then decide to place one of their meeples onto one of the areas on it. So uh, on the city, uh, it would be a knight. On the road, it's a robber. Or on the cloister, it's a monk. And on the grass, it's a farmer. And then when each area is complete, um, you uh, you score points for your owner. Um, this is two to seven players, isn't it? Although I don't think I've ever gone over four. Um, Carcassonne's two to five. Oh, it's two to five players. Yeah, nice. But yeah, you're uh, you're often faced with decisions like, oh, is it really worth putting my last meeple there? Or should I use this to expand this city, but I might not finish the city in time for the end of the game? Or should I place it near my opponent instead, giving them a hard time, you know, completing their project and scoring points? Yeah, this is a, this is a, a great um, game that takes very little time to teach. Uh, Lou and I are big fans of this. So uh, yeah, we've had a few playthroughs. In the last uh, in the last seven days, yeah, it's a lovely game as always. The, the way that you just build out that that city uh, landscape in front of you, um, always uh, a big thing for me. Great, thanks, Neil. Paul, you've been looking at your legacy. I have I, legacy of you, um, which was something I backed last year on Kickstarter from um, Garfield Games, and. It, your your set is a solo only game, so they've designed it as a solitaire, um, where you are playing this this character you who is trying to stop the flooding along the Yellow River by building canals, um, but at the same time there are barbarians attacking. You've got to manage your people. You've got to manage your resources. You've got to manage your workers. Uh, it's a very tight game. I've played it three times since getting it the first time was kind of a um a little i didn't i didn't finish it it was more a right let's play it because sometimes a lot of these legacy games the the first mission uh, is like a little starter mission so we'll mm -hmm. have steps for you to follow along this doesn't this is like right here's the game play it and other elements right. do get added in later on yeah but i thought well i'll have a little you know, I played just a few turns and then kind of reset it all. And then I played twice more. I succeeded once and I failed once. As you play along the game, there's a storybook, which is not overly detailed in kind of flavor text and stuff, but I think just the right amount of, you know, I've it, it's immersive enough, but without sort of detracting from the game too much. Mm-hmm. And then as you go through different scenarios in the storybook, you can add different um, things from a story deck to some of the different cards um, to, to increase those and, and add, make things harder, make things easier. And, and that will be dependent on whether you've won or lost previous, previous sessions. Um, and they add extra things that you have to 
complete before you can win the game. So far, I think it's very well balanced. I love the artwork. That sort of Garfield games, you know, any of those sort of series of games, the Sam Phillips who does the artwork, it's it's bright, it's vibrant. You know, they're sort of cartoony, but not in a sort of overly cutesy way. Um, yeah, so far, very, very pleased with this game. A lot, a lot of what I've seen other people talking about this game on socials suggests it's actually, it seems to be really difficult. Well, as I say, I've only played it twice. The The first time I got absolutely hammered. Mm. Um, not not a chance of, of winning. Mm. Um, I had to kind of play it out because when you lose, you can either lose by being overrun with barbarians or the, the flood catching up before you've built the canals. Mm. And that will influence the end game and what might happen in the next one. Mm-hmm. But it was very clear I was going to lose, but it wasn't clear <laughs> which way I was going to lose first. So I kind of had to play it out. The second one, I I won and it seemed a bit easier. But yeah, I, I don't want to give too much away of the legacy elements that come yeah, in fair enough. Mm. and the story elements, but they seem to have put something in that I think is going to put it right back in the hardball court. Um, and, and it's worth saying that the boxes designed really well that the cards slot in the cards that you don't need go in one section any stuff you add goes in different sections mm-hmm. so set up and pack down time is minutes um which is great and then once you finish the campaign you can just then reset everything straight back to the start and uh pass it on or or play it again if you fancy it so for me the other game i want to just mention is visculture um so I've had this game for a while now. I've not played it. And, and to be fair, I've gone a little bit hot and cold on it um, over that time. But I'm really starting to get into this again. Um, the game came out in 2015. The one I'm talking about is the Essential Edition. There are other copies of that out, um, particularly more recently, some some cool expansions there as well. Um, and it's from Stonemaier Games. As the name suggests, managing wine production here on your own vineyard. And we've got fairly straightforward work placement game where you're working through fairly linear set of actions of cultivating your fields, growing the grapes um, that you're going to harvest and then make into wine. So there's not like a huge amount more to it than that, really. Uh, And so that might sound overly simple for some, but it does sort of tap into a part of my brain that likes that methodical place worker here, get a thing that allows you to do something else in your next turn, then progress and be able to do something else the, the turn after that because of the resources effectively that you've got, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not really good at it. I've never won this game. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it goes down very nicely with a, a glass of wine and a few game snacks, uh, game safe snacks, I should say, very important. Um, I'd like to actually play it for a future podcast so more on that one in a few podcast time can we do it late night at the expo and do drink along with viticulture yeah. <laughs> what i would say is i've played this once with with you guys mm-hmm. um and actually i wasn't a massive fan but then it was one of those like we like we mentioned with first time cuba libre we played it after some a day of very heavy gaming and maybe we were a bit tired and it was a bit late Right, we started at like 11 o'clock at night or something silly, didn't we? Yeah, yeah so uh, 
So here's a new game to learn. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this. I've played this. Uh, I've played this at a sensible hour with you and Jen before. Have we? Yeah. I, okay. I couldn't remember that. Yeah. Let's yeah. have a go on another podcast. Agreed. Or, let's uh, have a quick chat about Undaunted Stalingrad. What to say about this game? Goodness me, it's so good. Um, Neil, you and I have played the full 15 uh, missions now over the last few months. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who wishes to play the game, but uh, what what are your thoughts now we've worked through it? Yeah, so it did happen to go the, the full complement of 15 games. I think in certain circumstances it can end slightly before that. Mm-hmm. Um, all leading up to this big crescendo that I kind of, there was there was something in there that you'd been working towards and vying for throughout the campaign. And I wasn't sure what that was all really doing. I thought it was just denoting victories, but actually then there was a level of relevance. I don't know if this is just really, yeah, I don't want to give anything away here, but I think you know know what I'm talking about, right? And that's, that's obscure enough. I think, yeah, it's fine. And I think, and I think that was great. I'd love to know what that would look like if, because actually it ended up being fairly even. Mm. Um, it would be interesting to see what that would have looked like if that had just happened to be completely one-sided. That would have been brutal. Mm. It's an um, incredibly well-balanced game, right? It, it came down to, after 15 missions, literally one point. We worked out, actually, I was quite a bit further away from that final point than you were when you got it. Um is that an issue? Is it, you know, I get that they kind of want to, you know, if you finished after, after eight missions or something, are you going to be frustrated that you haven't seen half the components even? Is that a problem that they're trying to do that? Do you think? I think, I think, you know, it is a war game, right? And I think battles can sway Mm -hmm. and, you know, seemingly uh you know there, there's so many so many occasions in history where the underdog has come through to do something quite incredible and, and it's been the you know the turning point of a war or a conflict so yeah because i think i'd won the two prior going into that finale right but i wouldn't have felt in any so, way aggrieved yeah. if you'd then if you'd then won the finale i don't think i don't think that even if you like say 10 5 going into the finale i don't think that's a ticket for you to just win by 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 default i think mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think they've done it right that it can still be won on the last battle. Um, I think it's so interesting how those, how the various uh, unlocks that you get throughout are yeah. are made and, and 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 won and lost over certain battles that you've got no idea what you're fighting for in the in the early instances. Mm. Um, how good was? Um, okay, Tom, could you take a moment, please, and read paragraph? <laughs> blah 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 like those moments are incredible. oh man yeah and i had one of those but didn't manage to do it because of let me talk about potentially first maybe only issue i've got a few things we can talk about but it's the rifleman route yeah so there is a mechanic and this is no spoiler because this is in um plain old and daunted as well is that it is a tactic if you can't achieve the mission objective or don't want to you can just sit there and blast away at the other person's riflemen as they try and take the different objectives. And if you, in this game, it's called routing, where you, you remove all of those um, those units, you've won by default. And so because of this being a, a, a hand management, deck management game, right, where you are trying to really as 
we spoke about before, try and keep it as slim as possible so you can get the cards out that you want. You kind of don't want to be filling your deck out with loads and loads of riflemen, but then you can lose the game even if you're in a reasonably strong position because you just didn't take your opportunity to put those in. And we had, I would hazard a guess, we said lost each of us maybe two, three yeah. games each because of that happening. And it was the one thing we said at the end of the, the whole series of, Mm. is that is that a hassle i don't know how you'd control areas because as a key mechanic right is the rifleman are the only people who can control uh objectives but is that a problem like you say i don't know what the solution is it's not enough to have marred my enjoyment of uh the campaign mm. but there was definitely a tactic of in in so many of those especially because building cover is a thing right so if a yeah. building can give you an additional three shields of cover mm then the tactic is, well, this mission's too hard, so I'm just going to get snipers out, and I'm just going to... Like, the law of averages says that you'll just kill the rifleman by rolling tens, because you're rolling three or four dice every time. Yeah. I know this, that's the other thing, it's a good segue, is are the snipers too powerful? I think they are. We definitely had missions where it was whoever got the right, the snipers out first was probably going to win the game, because they could just pop 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 the other team's um units off off the map almost too easily yeah but then you think yeah. thematically right thematically remember that that super hyper uh historically accurate i'm sure film enemy at the gates about the snipers in stalingrad the whole thing was about the danger of those guys right and so uh, thematically maybe it's fine yeah i think i think that that should be the go-to for um for all of the Undaunted games going forwards. Mm. I was trying to remember, Paul, that this Undaunted Normandy, which is the one that we've played a lot, have snipers. I think it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And is it the same, you have the same kind of feeling there that there was, those are such powerful units, you, you're you just always going to want to try and get them out if you can? I don't have a memory of that being an issue in the same way. No, I maybe we just didn't use them properly. Um, <laughs> I, I think... You know, I've I've not played Stalingrad, um, but yeah, I think thematically it works though, doesn't it? If you know snipers are even in in the real world, you know, such a such a menace to your troops. And I guess I know what you say about the missions ending early, but if if you've got no ground troops to go and do the thing, then you're not gonna mm. you're not gonna succeed in whatever mission you're taking. Mm. And, so, and maybe we were not taking enough of a tactical approach to that. If somebody's got a sniper, you just then get out something to counter it, which is maybe just a load of machine gunners that suppress the snipers and then blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And also, you know, I think I think we withdrew on one scenario, maybe two, and that was, you know, when, when the scenario was already decided. So I don't know about you, I ended that game, I ended up that campaign with every single rifleman injured. I can't remember, but I would have thought so. And the, um, I don't know if that just represents the attrition of war, or I don't know if I was too gung-ho with everyone, because I wonder if, if had I withdrawn more and kind of yeah. protected my rifleman more, yeah, because then you get to the stage where they're they're upgrading by the end of the campaign, and like I, I the last two missions, I didn't upgrade. You anyone couldn't do it. No right. one could upgrade. Yeah, I, I have heard this uh, this this comment elsewhere 
that this is just such a good thing with this campaign because they are individual units an individual soldier right that you have upgraded that you know that is a good card are you going to risk him and put him into your deck when you know you've got to charge across some open ground that when he gets there it's going to be really useful but on the other hand if he just gets cut down on the way you've just lost one of those 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 10 guys that you can get basically like how clutch were those smoke engineers so good just frustratingly good like they 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 made a big impact on every scenario that they were used. Yeah, yeah. But if you'd injured one of them, it would have been devastating. Yeah. I and I I think I've said this on one of the uh, when we talked about this on the what we've played, but the artwork on the cards is so good. It is. It's brilliant. And I and I love how the artwork progresses depending on whether the unit is upgraded or injured. Yeah. Yeah, like the dude, the dude who loses his rifle and just has a spade in the next picture. And yeah, someone has like, a pistol, right? Yeah, you know, and someone, <laughs> or someone, someone whose whose attack range is limited to a maximum of two, and now they've got an eye patch on, so clearly they can't yeah. see well enough <laughs> fire any further than two squares. Yeah. Like, it's so good. It's important, to, I think, for anyone who's unfamiliar with this, is this is a light, it's a light war game, right? There, there is no line of sight. There is no, uh, you know, there are things that I think a maybe a more intense tactical war game would be frustrated about, like the snipers potentially being OP and the tanks don't have a huge amount of power if they're not fighting other tanks, potentially. Again, maybe the way in which we were using them. Um, That doesn't, that's not a problem for me um, at all, but I, I think it's an important point. It, it is a 10 out of 10 game for me. I'd be amazed if it got to the end of this uh, end of the year and this wasn't my game um, of, of the year. Yeah, I think it's, it's certainly game of the year. Right, excellent. Let's talk about some new games. Okay, on to our regular feature, six of the best, where we look at six games from the BGG hotness. Paul, you've been looking at Advent of the Carnate, I think. I'm glad you pronounced that over me. Uh, yes, um, this is a, um, a a card game. I like card games. I was drawn to this. Um, set in a fantasy 13th century medieval, but with special magic powers world in the sort of Asian side of things. So a lot of stuff you see with fantasy seems to be very much a, a Western interpretation of what's going on. This is very much East Asian. Um, it, it's a little two-player card game, which looks very interesting. There's a bit of card drafting and deck building, but again, all out of the one box. So it's not like a, you've got to go and buy some booster decks and make sure your your deck is better than everyone else's. This was on uh, Kickstarter. They're now doing sort of general pre-orders around the £35, £40 mark for the game. So it looks really good. The artwork looks good. There does seem to be a bit of drafting for at the start of the game for your deck, which I quite like. Um, but but overall, it looks like a good, good, solid game. I think it'll be an interesting one to play. All right, nice. Great. Nice, nice, nice. Neil? So I've been looking at Blood on the Clock Tower. Man, this, um, this looks great. So this is a huge... Uh, bluffing party game for five to 20 players 
um, playing on opposing teams of good and evil, uh, overseen by a narrator player. So that does need one person to sit and exclusively play as the narrator. Um, and they conduct all the action and make crucial decisions. Uh, the aim of the game is to successfully work out who the demons are and execute them before they outnumber the townsfolk. Having uh, enjoyed the uh, the traitors on TV uh, as a bit of a guilty <laughs> pleasure, then uh, <laughs> then this looks pretty decent. Um, this looks really, really good. I think this was originally conceived in about 2019, and it's only just now seen its first kind of big printing and retail release. Um, I think it's slowly arriving in the country, although it looks like Zatu do have copies available right now. Um, but, but for a five to 20 player party game, I mean, how many is that going to be best played with? At least 12? Surely. Yeah, because it's going to be like a, a major game to take, or whatever. Right. And it's due to take the entire evening. Okay. And the game right. costs 140 quid. So. Mm. Like, how often are you actually going to get that to happen? There must be versions of this playing. Uh, I, I would agree. And it seems to be completely the other end of the scale of something like Resistance or Werewolf or whatever, which are 15 quid games tops, right? And yeah. very, very quick as well. So it's a really interesting split from that. But there must be games of this being organised at UK Games Expo. Right. So that was the the massive point that I put in that I think and I think that there are people who are so into this game that they just like tour conventions hosting it. But it's the sort of thing that, you know, like there'll be a game going at the Hilton, you know, like right. yeah. in the evening post expo. I'd be like we're not going to do it on this occasion, no doubt, but I'd I'd definitely, definitely be up for this. This sounds really, really up my alley. But I think it's just going to be such a task actually getting it getting it together and getting getting people to play it. Okay, uh, good, good, good. My first one was the, let's hope I'm pronouncing this right, probably not, Isafarian <laughs> Guard. Let's go with that. Anyways, out in 2023 this year uh, from Eric Bitterman, Sean Crater and David Janchik and Sky Kingdom Games. The Isafarian Guard, I think I've already pronounced it in two different ways, is a narrative-driven cooperative game uh, for one, two players. Again, can be soloed if you want. And it's part of their Stonebound uh, Stone Saga series of games that sort of fits into, into that world. Players will be adventuring across the, the lands of Isafar and fighting enemies on a separate battle map, which I think looks quite cool. So I think... You know, world of uh, of the skyrim game that we played recently um but then you've got um, the skirmish element which i think is where others in that stonebound saga series have been it is a bit of a generic fantasy world that we're in here there's nothing that massively stood out for me that makes me feel like this is different from others in in that 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 genre really but the art does look really cool i was very taken with that um there's a very cool narration bit to it as well where you can purchase it as an extra and it gives you the kind of those kind of cut scenes if we're thinking video game here um so a little bit like forgotten waters it will read those bits out you can do it without it but a cool extra um as well as, as music that goes alongside that uh the game was actually kick-started in 2019 with a very ambitious it seems to me delivery estimate of december 2020 so um it seemed like they're a bit late there you can't currently purchase the game because they are just doing that fulfillment 
right now um but i'd expect to see it in retail in in the next few months but it looks cool you know it's um it's not the sort of game desperately looking for to add to my collection but i think if you have you know completed uh your uh gloomhaven frosthaven campaign already why not could have could have happened um and you want something that's in that ilk well maybe isn't such a commitment this is a, this be a cool one to to look at how much are we looking sorry you might have said don't know sorry there's i can't find anything on retail at all even on their their website it's got minis and poker chips so uh <laughs> um the, the artwork is great. It's kind of Norse meets D&D almost, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The the problem with these games is there are so many. I know we talked about this before. These big, epic fantasy campaign games there are, that, yeah. that look brilliant, but are a heavy time investment and, and potentially a heavy yeah. financial investment. And it's like, well, which one do you pick? Because this one looks really good. Oh, but that one looks really good. And you can't have all of them, right? No. Uh, looks uh, to this one, it does look it does look quite cool. Oh, <laughs> it looks great. All right, Paul, back to you. Back to me. I have picked for my second game uh, Endeavor Age of Sale, uh, which was a re-implement of Endeavor. Um, this is... Uh, a glorious empire building area control um shipping game uh where you're looking to you know increase your buildings increase your shipping routes it came out in 2018 uh published by burnt island games and has had quite a big following since then um there's not been a, a reprint and i don't think there is one coming the reason it's in the in the hotness is Endeavor Deep Sea, which is the sort of new version of this, but underwater in submarines, is coming out on Kickstarter. The the Kickstarter, the Deep Sea, I think actually looks awful. The the artwork is is truly terrible. I know that's not the game we're, we're talking <laughs> about. But, but the, the original has got this sort of, you know, very period-driven wonderful sort of i think rich artwork and then the deep sea re-implementation is just sort of fairly naff cartoons um hang on are you talking about the the 2009 endeavor or the the 2018 no so the one that's in the hotness is the 2018 which is endeavor age of sale which is the yeah re-implementation of original endeavor and i think it just took that old game and you know improved some of the things that weren't quite working with it improved the the artwork a little bit and, and stuff and and i think really just ups ups that original game yeah um and, and it's something you know i've seen before i, I quite like boats <laughs> so i know you like trains new i like boats well, you um, and i've already already always talked about if we were ever going to design a game it'd be a pirate one or pirate or, pirate or boating themed yeah, I think so. I'd like to do a, a big immersive with miniatures and a story-driven campaign for £180. <laughs> before the expansion. Uh, yeah, before the expansion. No, uh, this looks good. I think they've missed a trick, actually, because they've done this re-implement of um, Deep Sea, but 
as part of the Kickstarter, I think they could have done a reprint of original Age of Sail. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, kind of that's all I've got to say. That's why it's in the hotness. I think it's a really good-looking game. If anyone's got a dusty copy on the shelf that they don't want and would like to pass on for a reasonable amount of monies, then give us a shout. I came so close to a second-hand copy of this about six months ago. Really? They're quite hard to come by. They're not... Yeah. You know, some of these older games, there's always loads kicking about, but they're not always... I think it was pretty... I think the guy wanted a fair old chunk of change for it as well. All right, cool. Thanks, Paul. Neil, what's your next one? Uh, Sorry, I'm on Facebook groups looking for Endeavour prices. So my second pick from the uh, from the top 50 of the hotness is Thorgal. So this was originally uh, a fantasy comic written back in the 70s by uh, Jean Van Ham um, and this really, really cool artwork by Gregor Rosinski. Um, and it was largely founded on Vikings and Norse mythology, but it also had some elements of sci-fi um, thrown into it. Um, rewind a month ago, back in April, um, this board game adaptation was launched on GameFound by Portal Games, uh, and it was successfully funded uh, to turn uh, this uh, this theme into a cooperative storybook adventure game for one to four players, um, in which you take on the roles of Thorgol, his wife uh, Arisia, their son Jolan, and Chris, who's like a deadly uh, warrioress. Um, Unless I'm very much mistaken, this looks like Norse sleeping gods, um, <laughs> which looks quite good. So the game consists of seven standalone scenarios with each set to be taking an evening to play. Um, so this is good from a time point of view, um, as all the scenarios are separate. So you don't necessarily have had to have, have the same group playing each week, you know, so like we could do it on a Wednesday and if Dave can't make it, then we'll just, it doesn't matter. It's not like... You've got that extra admin of 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 you know having the same players, mm-hmm. and also you haven't got all that admin and BS of saved game states and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like it's got quite a few cool action mechanics um, where you've got a selection of available cards with each providing an action. The even the 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 like the deck of cards of actions that you can use can be changed in between missions and stuff. And then you pop these little discs down to show which actions you're going to take. But then when you activate the token, you have to move it to a different action card. So I think it gets quite thinky, kind of. It made me think of Scythe, where you... Uh, <laughs> it's like me, you, and Jen, when we've been playing Scythe, we've, we've got wise to that technique of stacking the stars <laughs> to show which order you want to do all of your actions next, right? Absolutely. Um, so it got me thinking uh, a little bit of that. Um, there's also then like a polyamino tile laying mechanic to represent where you're traveling across the map yeah. um, with various boons and penalties, depending on the squares that you cover up. Uh, and there's also a character development action to kind of keep those min maxes out there nice and happy. So yeah, this is set to ship in April 24. Um, I'm not sure if there'll be a late pledge option. Um, I don't know if I'm gutted to have missed it just because it is just another like fantasy. Same as we're just saying, right? Yeah. But it looks so good. It, it looks, does look good. It looks really great. Beautiful. I tell you what, I'm bang up for is someone demoing it at the expo. <laughs> sure. Thanks, Neil. My next one, the last one in our list today, is Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Sure. 
So this is the book of the Hebrew Bible and also uh, the latest announced game from Shem Phillips, Sam McDonald and Garfield Games. Um, it's uh, been announced just very, very recently, hence its position in the hotness. Uh, and it's expected um, for, for next year, 2024, and will contain, no doubt, from what I can see, a similar level of points collection from various sources that we've seen in, in other Garfield games we've we've played Wayfarers uh, most recently and that that definitely fits that 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 score um this time the theme is the rebuilding of the walls and the temple um for the Jewish exiles about 500 BC following uh Persian conquest of, of Babylon and, and then the the movement of the Jewish population there back to old Jerusalem where they'd, they'd previously been expelled from. Uh, the game has the usual great art that we've seen elsewhere. Um, you know, across the board on most games, I think I've always been a massive fan of the the the, the art that they've used in these games. It is a busy old board here. You are using a board um, and and through card play as as we've seen elsewhere. Um, but it still looks fabulous. I think um, they will be coming to Kickstarter this one um, likely in October of this year. Uh, Paul, I think you had a good experience, as we're saying with Legacy of You, um, mo- for the most part from that Kickstarter campaign. There will be more information available um, uh, on this. It's been promised in the next couple of weeks, so so one to keep an eye on. I think. Yeah, I would say um, I'm on my third Garfield Kickstarter, so Wayfarers. Um, then legacy of you and i'm now waiting on scholars yeah. and and they do just seem to use this as a way of you know selling selling games it's not like their kickstarters have loads of stretch goals or anything like that mm. um because they're, they're focused on the game and they make that quite apparent um but they they do it really well i think they always seem to manage that and postage well and it never seems to be a ripoff compared to some of the others um i don't know if it's like so the, this sort of kickstarter is really just about pre-ordering right, right? Yeah, and getting yeah. it ahead of other people i don't think i've ever noticed a problem in getting hold of garfield games at retail later down the line um they are popular so there's that impact um but i've, I've always noticed them available yeah yeah i i think so very good some really awesome looking games there we're returning to a few of those in the near uh future no doubt right quiz time quiz time so thanks to jonathan and cheryl on our discord channel who kindly submitted these to us so we thought we'd have a go i have to admit that i have not verified these questions uh but jonathan seems like a nice chap so let's assume that he is right um <laughs> right so the way we're going to do this is that i'm going to go through the five questions that we've got um so you two boys can have a go and um the the listener at home can do that too and then we'll go through the answers afterwards so phones away look away from the computer that we're recording this on and get your pencils and papers ready so first question on bgg what game is highest ranked under the category animals. What is the highest ranked game under the category animals? Very good. Number 
Number two on BGG, what game is highest ranked under the mechanic set collection? This is a little bit of an interesting one, this one. That was the, the answer here, going to give you a bit of a clue, was not obvious to me. So think a bit outside the box on that one. Having played Wavelength with you, I will not be doing Okay, yeah, let me not give you any clues. <laughs> <laughs> or so it's, go it's the opposite. It's a set collection where you wouldn't consider it to be a set collection. Yeah, and I think also consider, I'll give you a second clue, consider what is high up. Not right at the top, but pretty high in the BGT Top 100. Right, can I Don't just... look, Paul. Don't look, Paul. I saw those eyes go. <laughs> okay, number three. Which of the crew games is higher in the top 100? So this is that trick-taking game. There are two out there. Um, there's the original, the crew, the Quest for Planet Nine, and the crew mission Deep Sea, which of those is higher. Oh, oh, beg, beg your pardon, there are actually of... three. There are three of those. There's the crew flight to the ISS. I hadn't realised there were three. Apologies. All right, well, seeing as you skipped over that one, not putting that. Unless <laughs> it's the world's best bluff. What's set collection game? That's a tricky one. That is, I have no way I got that one. Okay, number four. So how many of the top 100 games were published before the year 2000? In the set collection game. <laughs> I can give you another clue to that one in a minute. Is it one we own? I think I've got it. Don't stop giving him clues. <laughs> okay. Number five, the last one we've got, is name a game in the top 100 which has a brand of confectionery in its name. And I have three possible answers here. That's all right, I've got it. <laughs> So I think it's a UK-based confectionery. So if you do have any listeners from outside of the UK, um, I, don't, I don't know how easy this one will be for you. I've got one, at least. Okay, well, bonus points, perhaps, if you can get multiple. Brass curly-whirly. I have three. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for the answers? Yeah. So, number one, what BGG game... Uh, is highest ranked under the category animals. What did you guys have? I would say our most discussed game of uh, 2022. Put Ark Nova. Ark Nova. Neil? That was a smart answer. Uh, I put Twilight Imperium because that's Space Cats, isn't it? <laughs> I like that answer. I, I, uh, I did put Isle of Cats. Isle of Cats is a good guess. It's a good one. It is, however, Ark Nova. Boom. <laughs> Ark Nova now being up to number four. Should have stuck on my joke answer. Exactly. <laughs> we got a bonus point for the joke answer. Okay, number two on BGG, what game is highest ranked under the mechanic set collection? So, Neil, you think you've got an answer for this one? Paul, anything you want to hazard before? It, it, is, it is blank, like my mind. I am... Neil, what have you got? Well, so pre-clue, I was gonna, I was gonna go with Azul. I thought maybe that might have been okay. I think that is a good answer. Um, but I think after your clue, is it Pandemic? Oh, you smart cookie! 
How did you do that? It's, it's, I'll give you that. It's Pandemic Legacy. Well, one. yeah, Pandemic Legacy, yeah. Yeah, Because well you're done. collecting sets of cards to cure the cure the virus. Yeah, absolutely. When you know the answer, it's obvious. <laughs> 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 All right, so that is a one each by my reckoning at the moment. So then what is our answer to number three? Which crew is higher in the top 100? Uh, Neil, what's your answer? Deep Sea. Also Deep Sea. Deep Sea is the answer. Deep Sea. Oh, third one that you didn't mention until you'd given it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you more. So Deep Sea is at 36. Um, the the original, I believe, the Quest for Planet 9 is just a few down, 59. Uh, and that other one from 2020. Um, oh, this is an expansion, an expansion, so it's not counted. Beg your pardon. Good thing I didn't put that one then. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was the uh, that was the Joker. Okay, cool. So we're um, still even, Stevens here, right? What? And then he just gave the answer. So, how many of the top one hundred were published before the year two thousand? I'm going to give you a margin of five on this one. <laughs> oh, I thought probably about a fifth of them, so I put twenty. Okay, and five for you, Neil. Uh, it's fourteen. Fourteen of that top one hundred. I wrote 13 and rubbed it out. Ooh. All right. So nobody so, gets any points uh, for that no, one. No points no, for no that. Points, no points. No points. It's all down to the last one. How? It was closer. How exciting, though. No, doesn't matter. You weren't within five. Those, those are the ground rules. All right. Name a game in the top 100, which has a brand and confectionery in its name. And I'm we've both got the one that pulls, but give you a point, a point per. So what? what's that one that you both got then? I put terraforming Mars. Mars, Mars. Yeah. nice, 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 nice. So I won't accept any others that got the word Mars in there. But any others? Galaxy Trucker. Galaxy Trucker for another point. Very nice. Uh, I think I could get this if I think long enough because I do like a bit of confection. I've got. Did it include more. ice cream bars? So a feast for Odin wouldn't count. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, sure. Confectionery. I'm thinking chocolates and sweets for that. So not chocolates give you one for that. Sweets. Hang the on. other one that we were handed. Look at his game shelf now. Yeah. Um, do I own it? Yeah. If I <laughs> said to you, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the uh, Lion Bar. Do you know I'm I'm staring at it right now as well. <laughs> I love a lion bar as well. I was like, it's it's like right there, and I'm like, Flam Rouge. Right. So I think you got you get three each, four points each, something like that. Three, uh, four, four for you, Neil. So let's do four as the best score. Why not? Uh, see if you can do better than that. Let us know. Thanks again to Jonathan. We appreciate yeah. uh, sending those good questions. In. Very good. Re- really good quiz, actually. And um, any other any other quizzes? We're always open to a specifically a board game themed. Jump on the Discord, get involved, and uh, and do what Jonathan did. Email them in to I'm having my one at gmail.com. <laughs> All right, so our topic this episode is Shelf of Shame. This is actually, again, uh, Jonathan of uh, Quiz Fame, um, something, a topic that he started in the Discord um, channel that, that had a good bit of chat on. Um, and he very nicely suggested um, that he'd heard this called the Shelf of Opportunity instead, uh, which I quite like. So I think we're all on board with what this is, but just in case, what are the things that are most anxious? It's the Shelf of for? Shame, call it what it is. <laughs> <laughs> this shelf of shame that you've spent money on something and it's sat there 
for months or sometimes years and you haven't played it. So let's let's just kick off. Uh, and I know for you, Paul, in some ways, this is not a good topic because somehow you stay on top of uh, these things. So uh, it's going to be the shelf of smug. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's start with you, Neil. What what's uh, what's on your shelf of shame? What's the the key items you've got there? Nusfjord Village, Adrenaline, Heroes of Normandy, Winged Victory, Sekigahara, Everdell Pearlbrook Expansion, Autobahn, Batoku, Above and Below, Now or Never, Pulsar Twenty Eight Forty Nine, Champions of Midgard, and Darwin's Journey. Oh, Neil. Which of those is that? Yeah, there's some of those that you just there's you had the most shame about uh being there maybe that's because that was one that you really hyped about and haven't got to or or dare i say it spent spent a lot of money on so so shame so so shame slash opportunity definitely village i mean i think i bought that pre-pandemic <laughs> and do you know what it's made its way into the cell pile twice and it's made its way back onto the shelf because it just gets such good reviews that I just can't let that go. Can't quite bring yourself to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, but I also can't also get I also can't get round to learning it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, village Village is the one that I've had the longest, and I've procrastinated about playing the most. Seconded by Nusfjord, I think. Nusfjord, we've got to get get out and get played right. How long does it have to be on there though? Like, what what is the the time period between purchase? and uh and and shame tag four months four to six months that's a, a time frame where sensible that you, you've got it you've unpacked it bagged it all up learned the rules and should have got a game by then yeah i reckon yeah i, reckon I think about that. i think so but i think it's also dependent on the game because it is, it is. because if you've bought if you just bought, bought european golfed yeah Something like that that you know is going to be a six to ten hours playthrough, yeah. really in depth. You might have seen something because it's it's there and it's a good bargain, or mm. you know you want to catch it, but you know it's it's not going to get to the table anytime soon. So yes, I I think kind of that six month window, with the caveat of what the type of game is yeah and i think that's that's kind of where i'm at with a lot of the games on my shelf of shame is that so many of those are some sort of historical slash war game or something like that that i've bought and thought oh i'd love to play that with somebody without really thinking about okay i need to work out who i'm going to play that with learning what is probably going to be a really complicated set of gmt or whatever rules um and then getting the time out to be able to play that and have that ahead of other things when we know we want to uh we do have these opportunities which don't come around that often in the year um depending on who you ask uh to to to, to, to play something like twilight Imperium, right, is that we want to prioritise that. So having this um, time to play, you know, some of the things I've got there, I've had a copy um, of the GMT game, the US Civil War, for for ages on, on my shop. I can't actually remember when I, when I, I got that one. Um, but I think probably the biggest example, and something that I love Lord of the Rings, really into that, <laughs> War of the Rings, second edition, has been on my shelf of shame, I'm pretty sure, since summer 2020. We are. That's fine. We're done with Undaunted now, so we're right. playing that next. That is the next thing that is going to get to the table when we can we can put a few hours beside it. So so that one. But there's also a couple of other ones um, there as well, which um, Ultra is a game, fantastic looking campaign game, lovely components. Yeah, that I picked true. up at a local game store, I think at least 18 months ago. 
and just the time to be able to do it goes back to our conversation about having these campaign games and when you have the time to do it. But actually, another smaller one there is um, a, a game that I kickstarted from Alicat Games. Really excited by it, and I just haven't quite got it to the table. Worked out it'd be perfect for a Wednesday night, but I just haven't got my head around it. Which is Starfighter's Rapid Fire. Really simple, roll some dice skirmish game. But just haven't been able to do it, and so it's, I feel dumb having kickstarted a game to get it ahead of other people to be able to have this pre-order on it, and then I haven't bloody played it. Ridiculous. All right, so we talked about how long it needs to be there to be a shame, a shame item. <laughs> what is sensible for how long you should keep it? Like, what what do you guys do in terms of putting that on the sell pile? Now, there are some games for me I would never get rid of unless we play War of the Ring and have a total time with it. I don't think I'd ever get rid of that. But is there a time period where you say that game has sat there for X years? It's got to go. There, there are too many excuses, right? Like I, I came so close to selling Nisfjord and you were like, no, I really want to play that. So it's like, oh, okay, we'll keep it. How about you, Paul? I mean, I know you don't. I mean, you don't have any at the moment, but actually, if we look prior to our more recent um, game day, there were quite a few there, right? With Crusader Rex, with uh, with the RAF game that we played, or the Battle of Britain game, game we played, there were quite a few. What do you think? Is there a time time period that, that it's just it's silly? Now, I'm I'm not particularly good. Neil, I think you're really good at moving games on. I think, Tom, you, you're sort of quite on top of that as well. Um I like having stuff and I've got currently space for it. Um, so mine is just when I can't fit any more games in and can't jiggle anything else about to make space. Again, it's game dependent. I think, especially if it's a quick, you know, one of these sort of shorter, easy to learn games. Mm. If you haven't played it within that six month mark, I think there's potentially a reason for that because there's not saying that that isn't a good game, but there mm. are other things that are maybe taking your fancy a bit more yeah and and if if the case that every time you go onto your calyx or into your cupboard you're reaching for something else over that particular game then i think maybe that highlights right and that there is a a whole separate perhaps more serious conversation about the consumerism of it and the and the, the need to have the new stuff we I'd maybe like to get to this topic at some point where we're talking about our own collections a little bit um and, and maybe how we would try and refine that and if you had to cut it down what what would you cut it down to but th- there is always this this kind of cult of the new needing the new stuff whereas there are great games like i'd happily play just forget my collection look at yours neil there's very happily play brass root everdell these games that don't really get to the table that often again and again and again. And that there is a kind of dumbness there about kind of continually adding to it. And so, you know, that there is probably some sort of healthy rule that you should, should enforce in, in your own world of this is the time after which I, I get rid of stuff. Um, and it's all too easy, right? Is you, you particularly the Kickstarter or something like that with probably with Starfighters is I saw that and got excited and it wasn't a particularly expensive Kickstarter UK based it wasn't paying a lot in in any of the fees or, or around that so just went for it but then it's arrived and it it takes so long the enthusiasm's kind of died yeah I think sometimes those Kickstarters are are a problem for that where you know it it turns up six eight twelve months yeah 
two years after you you've originally bid, bid the money whereas i think when you're buying buying something from one of your local game shops you know you you're like oh that looks really good you've ordered it it's with you by the end of the week uh, and so i think you're more keen to yeah see it, inherent dumbness of crowdfunding really isn't it it's just it's silly um, and pro- probably, I know there are other reasons for it as well, Neil, but probably a good example for you on that one is Darwin's journey, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, have either of you guys ever sold a game without playing it? Yeah, definitely. And then often rebought it again later. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've definitely sold, I've sold two games that I've kickstarted and never played. And Darwin's journey is soon to become the third. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? But, it is sad, but I yeah. But there are more games coming out that I'm like. The problem is, and it's kind of like it's kind of like video games to a degree. That there are so many like the the, the people have worked out what the popular themes are, i.e., fantasy land campaign miniatures, mm. like whatever. Mm. And people are churning them out at a rate that is greater than people are capable of playing them. And I think. I think we're not too far away from being having a saturated market. It's, it's very possible, right? It's we can't be the only people. No, I mean we're not. I've heard elsewhere who are saying, you know, good another campaign game. But I'm genuinely, I'm, I'm, and I know, and I know, I go, I definitely go through waves of buying games. But right now, I'm on a massive wave of I just want to play the games that I've got for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Slash. If you start, if you, if I, if, if, if on Facebook, I see that game that I've massively wanted, then I'll hundred percent buy it. But yeah. And also, and also like we've started trying to do on Wednesday nights, replaying a game the following week. Right. Not playing a new game every week. It's just, we've got to do it. Right. It's just, it's silly. Yeah. I was thinking of like people set challenges and stuff for themselves at the start of the year, like play 10 games, 10 times and stuff like that. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think I've got a necessarily a, a massive games collection, but it's there's definitely quite a lot on there. And part of that is because I've got games I want to play with you guys and games I, I want to play with my kids. So then you probably get more than you would do normally. Yeah. But I was thinking this this year, and it's kind of fallen by the wayside of seeing if I could play every game I own at least once this year. Yeah. Mm. Because there are some that don't come out that often, and in the back of my mind, of right, whatever I've not played by the end of the year will be be passed on. I, I do have one technical shelf of shame: Journeys in Middle Earth, the Shadow Path expansion. <laughs> true, true, true. That's just because it's sitting on mine, but, but that's because it's. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope to make a start on that soon for you. It's currently on Tom's shelf of shame. Is is there anything on that shelf of shame list that you reeled off that you just would not get rid of? I wouldn't get rid of um, any of the Ryan Lockett stuff because I don't, don't know why, but they look like a great series. I think they've got a lot of replayability, and they just yeah, it's just yeah. such a it's just such a great cube. It's one of my favourite cubes of mechanics. <laughs> okay, so finally, is a little little end piece to this to, to close it out. What are the best ways that we found to to move games on, um, Neil? I think you found facebook to be to be a really good one right there's there's a couple of good facebook groups my favorite get one is uh, board game trading in chat uk 
um, that one isn't just always sales post. There is a good amount of conversation going down as well. Um, yeah, there is uh, often. A, which I find it to be quite a respectful um, environment. Um, you're usually looking at, you know, in terms of pricing. I normally go for the cheapest price on um, boardgameprices.co.uk, less twenty percent inclusive of postage. Yeah. So you can yeah. normally get a good rate. I think when stuff's out of print, then it becomes complicated because then there's less benchmark to see what you're what you're kind of going up against. Mm. eBay, think, eBay, do you find, eBay is the place that I do most of mine. Yeah, I feel like I feel like resale board games are definitely slowing down a bit. I feel yeah. like there's certainly been a few posts that I've put up on that Facebook group where you know games that by rights should be selling for the price that I'm selling them at, like Marvel Champions, just doesn't get touched. Um, and I don't know if that's again because people have got I think as soon as something's slightly old news as well then no one's interested anymore I think it's such a weird concept that everyone's got to have the game that's out right now like everyone's got to have Heat and Ark Nova and no one cares about the games that were great a few years ago so just in terms of other ways to um, to sell games I love just giving a game away I love giving a game away and saying that suits that person so like um uh, so you've been eating. I was like, Paul, there you go. Play that with the kids. I could quite like doing that. Um, I, I would say for people that haven't sold many board games and stuff before, uh, and I think this is really important. I, I think most people realise this, but if you're selling through or even buying through Facebook um, or other sites like that that aren't eBay, most transactions always use PayPal and always use the not Good the friends of, yeah 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 ninety nine percent of people are absolutely sound and aren't there to shaft you over but it's just not worth the risk. What about charity shopping games? Yeah, I mean for but also for buying games I hear but <laughs> yeah well I don't know I think I'm thinking we I think we're starting to see a shift in that as well right like always. I've seen some absolutely ludicrous ones. Like I saw someone that that got a copy of Discord Ankh Morpork for four quid when that routinely sells for over a hundred. I just need to trail charity shops, even if it's just to to buy it. Whenever I go to charity shop, it's always a battered copy of Monopoly or something. But then like I saw a um, a BHF that had a copy of Battlestar Galactica and I think they'd priced it about 80 quid. And I was like, well, yeah, there's some savviness there, for sure. Fair play to them, though, because you know, and, and 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 with that in mind, if I was if I was gifting a high ticket game, then I would gift, you know, knowing, you know, I, I I like supporting the BHF, for example. So I would gift games to them, knowing that they're going to get a sensible price for it. But then, if you're going to take, you know, say if you're writing, if if this was a month ago and you had a copy of Heat and you took it into Oxfam and it went for two quid, then I feel like that's maybe out of the 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 sporting nature of you yeah, know it's, it's a charity of, shop you want the charity to be able to profit from the things that you're giving them right absolutely. it's not a dumping ground it's no all right good i think that's um fairly light-hearted conversation uh topic for this one but um i hope you enjoyed that all right 
right that about wraps up episode 22 i hope you enjoyed it um i did i enjoyed it thanks (laughs) please uh think about giving us a review or star rating um wherever you've been listening to this we'd really appreciate it It does help us to get the the podcast out there a bit we feel um before we go just another quick opportunity to mention our little giveaway for uk games expo next month uh where the first 10 people to find us and say i'm having my one We'll get an illustrious I'm having my one podcast mug. We'll do some more on our plans for UK Games Expo on the next episode. Um, so keep an eye out for that too. Uh, don't forget also the Discord, the ever-growing Discord community. Um, there's some good chat on there every single day. Have a look at our website for the link on how to join that. Um, we really appreciate you listening to this podcast. So thanks again. We've been I'm having my one and we hope you have yours too. I'm having my one. Oh, yet again, I've, I've made my life difficult by doing the first two words in a different language. It shouldn't be too difficult, there. <laughs> Hola and benvenido to the twenty-second episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pronounced holla. <laughs> <laughs> Holla. On this episode, I'm joined by Neil and Paul. Say hello, boys. Hello. Don't want to do one, Paul? I did, but sorry. Hello, did you, boys. Did you wave? Hello, boys. Hello, boys. Should we try it again? On this episode, I'm joined by Neil and Paul. Say hello, boys. Hello. Hello, boys. Very good. Uh, but also in our upcoming chat on the game we play, Cuba Libre, we'll be joined by a special guest, our friend Reese. So all of that and more to cover. So let's get cracking. Does Reese not get to hi. say hello? No. No, I have to be a silent partner he's in this. Just you know, he's going to want a salary or something soon. So. Until I'm until I'm called on.